everybody. My name is Dr. Pete Finn and I'm a senior lecturer at King's University um, and this is the COVID-19 and Democracy podcast. This podcast, this episode of the podcast, is the second in a series of episodes where we are returning to events in the borough of Ealing, which is in West London, where I live. And regular listeners to the podcast will remember that about six, maybe seven or eight months ago now, I recorded a suite of episodes with candidates for the Hanger Hill Ward in, in Ealing. And there was a by-election there. And um, I spoke to four out of the five candidates. And so returning to speak to one of those candidates again today, um, it's Fabio Conti. And Fabio was actually elected to be a councillor in that ward in Hanger Hill. And so has been a councillor in that ward since May 2021. And, and Fabio is hoping to run again in that ward in elections in May 2022. And this podcast sits within interviews with people from across the political spectrum in Ealing. Um, so there's a previous episode just out where we spoke to a candidate for the Green Party who's running out in uh, Hanwell. And then I'll be talking to people from Labour and um, the Lib Dems in the uh, in forthcoming weeks. So Fabio was a MP, a candidate for MP in the Ealing South Wales seat in 2017. He, as well as currently being a councillor for the Hanger Hill Ward, he was a councillor for the Northfields Ward in Ealing from 2015 to 2018. And he was a GP. He currently is a GP in Isleworth. And you can follow him on Twitter. And I'll put his Twitter handle into the show notes as well. Um, just before I get into the discussions with Fabio, just to say this is going to be the final episode of the year on the podcast, um, and I really just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's spoken to me this year. Um, we've done over 50 episodes, so just about one a week since um, January last year. Um, we're up to over 60 episodes overall on the podcast. Um, in the new year, I've got episodes coming up on vaccines, um, healthcare and digital exclusion, and then our normal kind of episodes focusing on different aspects of politics around the pandemic. Um, this episode is being recorded on December 17th, 2021. So anything that happens after that, obviously Fabio could not, um, could not comment on it. The current situation in the UK um, with regards to the pandemic is um, particularly um, concerning and as it is across Europe, this isn't something that's um, particular to the UK, um, mainly driven by the Omicron variant and the continued um, continued existence of the Delta variant, although that seems like that will recede um, and be replaced almost entirely by the Omicron variant. Um, the big bright spot, um, which I'm sure we will touch on both locally and nationally, is obviously the vaccine programme, as it has been for over a year now in the UK. Um, and then they'll, they'll um, they are obviously feeding into the politics around the pandemic. So Fabio, thank you very much for coming on again. Thank you for having me. Um, and I just wondered, I mean, I suppose as a, as a as a candidate and then also, I mean, if you wish, you can draw on your kind of your medical knowledge as a GP. Um, um, if you have any comments about the kind of current state of the pandemic in the UK in general, before we move on to focus on events in Ealing. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I guess, obviously, I think probably like everybody, I think everyone feels a bit weary with the pandemic coming up to sort of two years that this has, has been going on. But, you know, I guess we're at a really crucial, critical time at the moment. We've obviously got, you know, this uh, variant, the Omicron variant that's, you know, circulating very quickly. 
you know, cases are going up. And and though there's lots of information swirling around, we haven't really got definitive answers yet and lots of the key questions. So, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of unknowns at the moment. And, you know, I think the key, I guess the key message, the key thing is to make sure that everyone gets that boost, boost of vaccine. Um, we know that, you know, over time, two doses reduces your protection, even more so against this new variant. And with that booster, you, you know, that tops it up. And, you know, I've had lots of discussions with patients and other people over the last, you know, week or so. And, you know, even though, even if, you know, the, this variant is, is milder, even if, you know, you're at low risk because of your young age, you know, having the booster is really important because it helps to protect, you know, society as a whole. It helps to protect people because, even though there, there may be a lower risk of being admitted into hospital, you know, if we see large number of cases, even a small percentage of those going in will see lots of admissions and, you know, in, and that will fill up beds, you know, standard hospital beds, ITU beds, which then means that people who maybe need treatment for other conditions, other emergencies, you know, may, that may also be impacted. So, you know, if you're thinking about having the booster and you're, un, you're unsure, you think, well, my risk is quite low. You know, think about it in terms of the societal benefit of having the vaccine. I think that's that's really the, the most important thing when we're looking at you know the rising case and situation that we are in at the moment. And I know it, it can seem really difficult. It can be a bit demoralising. You know, when you know when this is sort of constantly going on. And I think we had all thought we were maybe over the worst of it. But you know, I think I think Chris Whitty said yesterday. I was heard him speak on the news about this is like a a hairpin bend. You know, we need to slow down, get around that, and then we can speed off again. And hopefully, this will just be you know a bump in the road. Um, but the vaccines are our best way of, of of moving on from this as quickly as possible. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, and so, turning to kind of local events and yourself, just tell listeners a little bit about yourself and why you're running um, or hopefully running to be a local councillor again next May. Yeah, so I'm, uh, well, as I say, I was elected in May this year um, in Hanger Hill in the by-election and um, I've been a councillor now, I have to say the last sort of six or so months have passed so, so quickly, but it's been such a, it's been a great uh, a great six months and you know it's really about getting stuck in and doing things you know one of the issues that came up a lot when I was campaigning back in sort of the first part of this year was about antisocial behavior and concerns that uh, people had and, and about fly tipping so some of the the first things I did when I when I got a when I got elected is we arranged some cleanup days uh, in the ward to sort of try and clear up some sort of hot spots in regards to fly tipping um, and we also managed to get there was an area um, near Fox, uh, uh, a sort of a path called Fox Lane, which runs by Hanger Hill Park, that, that, that there were recurring issues with and managing with sort of liaising with the council, we got some of that cleared, improved the, uh, to clear the lighting so people felt safer walking down. So it's been great. It's been good to actually be able to deliver on some of the things that you know people had spoken to me about during the course of the campaign. And, and I think that's part of the reason why I want to stand again in, in May next year is that you know being a local councillor, gives you the ability to, to try and get things done on a local level. Now, you can't do everything, you know, as a Conservative, we're in opposition to the council. Um, you know, we, we don't set sort of council policy, but we're able to, you know, tackle some ward-related issues, get local things done for local people. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's, you know, I've lived in Eden all my life, so it's it's great to be able to do that and to sort of give back to the community in that way. And, and that's why, you know, ideally, hopefully, I can, I can stand again in, in May next year. 
Great, great. Yeah, um, I should have said actually, just um, if people are listening to this without listening to the prior episodes, um, Ealing is so Fabio Conti is running for the is in the Conservative Party, and um, the part the council itself is very heavily weighted towards the Labour Party, with um, some Lib Dem and Conservative councillors as well. The local MP is Rupa Huck, um, and she's um, Labour, and the, um, the the member for the London Assembly um, for the local area is, is also Labour. So yeah, so sorry, I should have. Uh, preface my question with that earlier. Uh, so um, with that in mind, I mean, you've already touched on this um, in terms of your engagement with the local, with, with the ward. Do you want to explain the importance of local government and how that speaks to your approach to politics? Local government's really important. I, I can't remember if I, if I said this last time, I may have made repeating myself, but you know, when, when you get up in the morning, you walk out of your door, sort of the, the things that you immediately see are sort of dealt with by local government, whether it's, you know, when you put your rubbish out and how that's dealt with, the, the state of the streets in terms of, you know, litter and rubbish and fly tipping, or whether there's potholes when you're driving to work or cycling, or whether there's, you know, that the paving, paving stones are uneven. You know, all of those things are, are you know, are, are, you know, are controlled by, by local government. You know, obviously, there's other things in terms of, um, you know, social care, etc., other elements of public health. Um, you know, all, so there's a whole variety of things that people people come into interaction with on a daily basis, and that's all controlled by by local, not necessarily national government. So, you know, uh, local government is is so important because there is one. There's also that direct ability in terms of electing councillors, really in, in in really in your local area. You know, constituency MPs cover a much much larger area, but in terms of um, uh, councillors, sort of our areas approximately somewhere between sort of 5,000 to 6,000 properties or houses, um, it, you know, in a vicinity. So, it, you know, there's definitely that sort of local link. You can you contact your local councillors and, and therefore, you know, in one way lobby and, um, you know, express your concern about those issues in a very local level. So I think local government's important. I often, I often think, you know, obviously turnout local elections often is a lot lower than it. You know, obviously, government parliamentary elections, but it does height. But I think you know, it's because it, it plays an important role in lots of aspects of our lives. I think you know, in one way, you know, I think trying to promote you know local government elections, making sure people go out there and vote, because it will have a direct impact on the things that you do day to day. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Um, and what is your? So you've mentioned already um, you. You lived in Ealing all your life. You're a GP, not in Ealing, but just in a, in a, a borough neighbouring. Um, and so, it's, so you've, you've got quite a strong connection to to Ealing and the ward. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I, I, so I, I've lived in Ealing all my life. So I, I grew up in Northfields. I, I live in sort of the Hanwell area uh, now. Um, and so you know, Ealing's my home. It's you know, it's the is the only place really that I've ever lived. So it, you know, that was part of the reason that I first sort of got involved with sort of the Conservative Party locally about ten years ago. Um, before standing, I stood in a by, uh, sorry, I stood in, a, in the twenty fourteen local council elections in Elthorne Ward before being elected in a by election twenty fifteen um, in Northfield. So you know, I've been involved for a bit of time, and it, and and it's part of the reason for that was because. I, I'm passionate about my local area, about my community, and you know, I think getting involved in local politics is one way of trying to 
improve things in a in a local area and that's what sort of drove me to get involved in the first place and you know being elected to council as I was saying before you can make those you know, very sometimes very small changes but things that you know may benefit particularly people living on a particular street or in a collection of streets um you know like I was saying uh, doing work in Hanger Hill Park and on Fox Lane make people, people hopefully feel a little bit safer using those routes in the evenings and um, so it, it gives you ability to actually deliver some change okay and um are there, so there's there's various issues that are quite uh, big locally as as with every borough right um uh, so what are the kind of big issues i mean you touched on i mean so fly tipping is it's not a particularly glamorous issue but it's like it i think last time every candidate mentioned fly tapping tipping mm. back in april um and i mean you sort of just see it right um so that's an yeah. issue but there's a, any other kind of issues that are particularly illuminating for you i think one of the the big issues that comes up a lot on you know when, we, when you're talking to residents is overdevelopment so there's a lot you know there's clearly a need for for housing and homes you know throughout the country but you know i think there is concern when the, when we're seeing sort of very high rise, very dense developments going up in Ealing. Um, and often those developments aren't always supported by local people. And I think a lot of people feel that, you know, for example, the council is listening to their concerns on these areas. And, you know, often people who are already live in the area almost an afterthought to some of these developments. You know, and we've seen in Hanger Hill, you know, where I represent, we've seen um, a number of developments go through in the ward and in the vicinity in you know over the last few months and in over the last few years that you know that really are out of keeping with the local area and you know and, and and the vast majority of those have been strongly opposed by local residents but they get you know sort of pushed through anyway and i think that's where that's one of the big issues i think one of the others you obviously touched on about fly tipping um you know there is a real problem um, I think throughout Ealing with, with fly tipping and you know you know in, in my view and in, in the views of, of I think of a number of residents is that some of the actions that the council are taking haven't helped with the cause now there's no excuse for fly tipping I don't think whatever whatever the access is to you know to refuse and recycling centers is for, uh, it doesn't excuse people fly tipping but I think we should be making it as easy as possible for people to access those services so for example closing the um, the Refuse and Recycling Centre on Stirling Road in Acton, I don't think it's helped when it makes it more difficult for people now to go and recycle. We've seen recycling rates in the borough drop over the last few years. So, you know, I think that we need to do more to tackle fly tipping. You know, what, you know in, in Hanger Hill, we've done some cleanup days to try and sort of tackle some hot spots because, you know, in, in one way, the, the broken glass effect, if people see an area is already full of fly tipping, they're probably more likely to go and dump something else there. So we've hoped that that helps and you know one that we did do I, I went past the road recently and it's still relatively clear it's not you know it's nowhere near how bad it was when we cleaned up in August so you know so 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 hopefully those things will will, will make a difference um and I guess the third issue is antisocial behavior and I think there's there is real concern um about you know people feeling and I think this sort of plays into sort of potentially more media coverage of this over the last year about people's personal safety walking around the borough I know um, I've had conversations with people in, in in the ward recently on some particular streets where they don't feel the street lighting is clear enough there's trees obscuring street lights and they don't necessarily feel safe walking along there 
in the evenings. Um, this may be more to do in the summer months, but you know, street drinking is a real problem. We have a, an issue on Ashbourne Parade on um, the Hang Hill Gyratory, where there are a number of benches which um, attract street drinkers, and we're working to try and address that problem at the moment. We're, because it's it's those um, that paving and the, the bench is actually owned by TfL. So I met with TfL a few weeks ago. Um, so you know that those are I would say are some of the, the sort of three big issues: overdevelopment, fly tipping, and and antisocial behaviour. And um, those are the big issues at the moment. Okay, thank you very much. Um, and so turning to the pandemic, um, obviously, so we we spoke about this particular issue in quite some depth six months ago and so um, I, I'm assuming much of what we will touch on similar ground but obviously we've got a kind of another um, another chunk of time in, in, into the pandemic um, to discuss how how has the pandemic impacted healing in particular? I think it's clearly impacted every, you know it's impacted everyone in every way that they live their lives you know I think obviously you know over the summer a number of most of the restrictions were removed and I think people felt that we were we were moving on and I think as we've gone into the autumn and winter and you know and and you know, a case have started to increase again and there's been an increase in hospital admissions that you know that, that that sort of you know brings back to the forefront of our mind that actually that the whole it isn't over that you know COVID is still here and it's still causing an impact you know I think as I said earlier I think the key thing is not you know obviously is, is trying to Get over this current sort of uh, sort of bump in the road with Omicron and ensuring that we, you know, um, get as many people vaccinated as possible. I think there's obviously a lot of focus on boosters, but you know, it's not just an ealing problem; it's a, a London-wide issue. But there are sort of in ealing, for example, there's about 30% of the population who are eligible still haven't had a single dose of the vaccine. So you know, there are particular issues in in London and. You know, in, and in, in this part of London, where there are large groups of people who still haven't been vaccinated. So while we, you know, and rightly so, try and promote people to get their booster, we, we mustn't forget the people who haven't come forward for their first dose or people who have had one dose and haven't come forward for their second. Because it's really important that we get them protected as well. And I know, the, I know it's really difficult. I know the council have been working with the local um, health teams to try and try and get those vaccine uptakes up but it is difficult and I think it's you know it's about you know often lack of trust in vaccinations in, in health services that you know that, that sometimes make that worse we know that in London generally has a younger population compared to the rest of the country we know the vaccination rates are lower in younger people but and we but we need that message needs to we need to continue to get that message out that even if you're a younger person you know, it's really important to get your vaccine so that you can help protect others. Um, and so, you know, I think as we move forward, we need to continue to do that. You know, clearly, you know, you know, the impacts of the pandemic are also on education. Children, you know, spent large parts of the last two years either, you know, working or studying from home. And that's been really difficult. We know that that's probably impacted the most, you know, the most vulnerable, the most disadvantaged people in our society. And it's, you know, we need to make sure that you know schools are kept open and children can continue to learn so they don't fall but you know they don't fall further behind you know we need to close that gap on the education they've missed you know in terms of you know in terms of jobs and businesses they've suffered you know i think thankfully the furlough scheme has meant that unemployment rates haven't gone up significantly as as was initially predicted um but you know obviously that's come to an end now i know there are still some 
um, schemes in place like reduction in business rates, et cetera, um, to try and support businesses. But, you know, we need to ensure that they are continuing to be supported if, you know, given that, you know, that they're being continued, you know, they're being impacted at the moment. Hopefully, like I say, that, you know, we can, we can get through, you know, this, this current sort of blip and move forward and, and you know, because our, our economy was, you know, was growing and it was building momentum, you know, through the summer and into the autumn. And we need to keep that going because, you know, essentially that's the lifeline for everything else. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the pandemic has impacted everybody in lots of different ways. Okay, thank you. Um, and so just, you've um, spoke about the council already and some of the things that they've um, done well and some of the work that they're currently doing. And I presume as Conservative councillors, you guys are also involved in that effort to try and engage with the local NHS. Um, so um, what has, how has the council coped and what, what do you think um, have been some of the strengths and, and perhaps could have been done, done differently? Or, I mean, better might be a slightly, you know, given it's been a tough time, but like in hindsight, what could have been done better or done differently? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the council's response to the pandemic in terms of, you know, getting, you know, getting the initial messages out about it, ensuring that they've worked with the, uh, with the NHS locally to get, you know, the vaccination programme going, they've all been really positive things. And I think the council have done well on that. I think that what, you know, probably could have been improved and what probably should have been improved are some of the transport schemes that came in you know as a result of the pandemic um so you know i think we spoke about this back in april when we last spoke about the ltns and at the time you know there was a lot of you know unhappiness about them um residents were extremely frustrated um and a lot of residents felt ignored and and those schemes you know it felt often that the council dragged their feet about taking any action on them to ensure that, you know, because there was very much widespread opposition in every sort of measurable way, um, you know, whether it was by petition, whether it was by email to the council, whether it was through the number of different types of consultations that they did. And it took a long time for the council to take action, really until the point where they had no choice but to remove them. And so, you know, I think that has left people feeling that, you know, potentially the council didn't really listen they they thought they knew best and they weren't really prepared to engage with residents until they were in a position where they had no choice to so you know i think that the take-home message from from that is you know the the council need to listen they have to listen to residents um and engage them and that and that goes beyond you know ltns it goes also to what i was talking about before about planning um that you know the council's duty is the residents of this borough and they need to they need to ensure that they're listening to them and acting on their behalf and i think that sometimes you know the, the residents don't always feel that that's the case yeah um regular listeners will know that i am um, as an academic slightly obsessed with the ltn issue <laughs> and i've done a various different episodes on it and i'm currently writing a paper on it so um and yeah fabio's right we, we did uh, speak about it for in fact uh, Fabio was quoted in that paper when it comes out. <laughs> um, so and so can I just check on that um, is, is the Conservative Party policy still that it's not that you're necessarily against LTNs per se it's that um, the way in which the council um, went about implementing them in this instance was was particularly 
flawed or didn't didn't show enough engagement and was ill thought through and so you wouldn't be always against them in future it's just that the way they were implemented in this instance was was poorly thought through i think that it's got to be about the appropriateness of where they are i think you know you you can't you know i'm not going to say that every single ltn in every possible place anywhere is always bad oh, I think no, that, sure. yeah. so, so i think that you know there, there may be places where they work. I think the problem with LTNs is that they may fix an issue in a couple of streets by blocking one of them off. But and that may that may please you know people living directly on that road. But there may be hundreds or if not thousands of people who live in the vicinity. And if all that LTN does is displace the traffic from a couple of roads to all the surrounding streets, which increases congestion on other people's roads. It doesn't really solve the problem. All it does is moves the problem somewhere else and potentially makes the problem worse because I know what we felt here in Ealing, I know where I live in Hanwell, when the original LTNs were in place um, you know, earlier this year, was that it was very hard to you know, increase travel time significantly. You know, there was traffic on roads where you now go that there's very little traffic or no traffic at all. And it, there was traffic, you know, sometimes you go on a Sunday morning and there'd be traffic going up the Boston Road to the, to the junction with the Viaduct pub. And so it, it just displaced the problem and, and made and concentrated it in, in other areas where other people live. So it doesn't necessarily, so I'm not necessarily against the principle of every single LTN. And there may, there may be places that it works, but I think that that has to be demonstrated. The residents, not just on those couple of streets where they live, need to support it, but I think the wider community needs to be brought into it as well. And I think that if you get that level of proper engagement that residents really want it, then there is that, you know, then, then I think that potentially could work. But I think that in a number of areas where it was introduced here in Ealing at the time, you know, if you if you look at if, if, if sort of the, the probably the largest of the LTNs was between Northwells Avenue and the Boston Road, there wasn't particularly an issue there with through traffic. Well, I know when I was a councillor in Northfields, there was some issue with heavy goods vehicles driving on very narrow streets um, to cut through between Northfields and Boston Manor, and we at the time we got a we got a number of signs it put in warning he heavy goods vehicles weren't these streets weren't appropriate just because. The, the curves and the bends, they, they, they used to find it very difficult. But I found it, it was very rare, I remember knocking on a door where someone would raise an issue with the, their concern about the level of rat running in, in between those streets. So they were, they were put in to solve a problem that really wasn't there in the first place. And I think that, that, that's the issue is that when you're almost doing token gestures, where, where you haven't really thought through what the problem is, what you're trying to solve, and what would be the impact of what you're doing. So similarly, I know Hounslow Council, for example, have closed off Swincombe Avenue, which is a road that's often used linking Boston Manor to, to Northfields. And all that does, is it, it pushes traffic elsewhere. Now the residents of Swincombe Avenue are probably pleased they're not getting cars going down, but you know, what happens is that people might then use Elfhorn Park Road or they might go down and along the A4 and up Windmill Road. So one, it increases the, the journey times that people are doing, which actually means you're ending up burning more fuel doing an extra, you know, one mile if you're going all the way down the Boston Road and up, up Windmill Road. But, but what, you know, has that really made, it's displaced that problem on one road, but it's moved it elsewhere. So I, I just think that they have to be very, you know, very well thought through. I know that there are two LTNs that were put back in 
because residents on those streets were for it. So um, actually very close to where I live, uh, the LTN by Gold's Gym in Hanwell was uh, was re, you know was put back in. Though I note that I walk past it nearly every day. I know that people continuously cut through that LTN. So I don't know how much money the council's probably making in fines from that. But um, there's people that drive through it all the time. I don't know if they if they just don't see the signs. But um, uh, but, I, but and that was very popular with the people living on those couple of roads. But there was very large objection from people living on the surrounding streets. So it's a it's a very very difficult issue LTNs. And and, and I think we saw with thousands of people marching. And I remember marching back in I can't remember when it was in eight, March April time. Uh, this year uh, to the town hall about it, that there's very strong feeling. And I just think that unless you've really got the community going with you, you've really got, you know, a plan and, and, and evidence to show the problem you're trying to solve and how the displacement will impact other people. I think that, you know, we need to think very carefully before we implement any, before the council were to implement any of these schemes. And I, and I just want to end, uh, just sort of going on about it, just saying with the council, been very, you know, uh, we asked at a council meeting a few months ago, the council about whether they would plan to, you know, to rule out re-implementing these LTNs after local elections in May next year. And they would not give a, a straight answer on that. So I think, you know, we just don't know what direction that's going in. And I think that, you know, what I would say to the council is that, you know, you've, you know, if, if you ever think about reintroducing these, you really need to consult residents first, because residents have been resoundingly clear, they do not want them. Um, and so they need to take that on board, they need to listen, they can't try and fudge it and reintroduce it in another way in a few months time. Okay, that's an interesting way to end it um, on, on LTNs, yeah, um, to, be, to be continued. Um, and so how does um, how does the pandemic link in with I mean we've touched on quite a bit of this in disparate ways in some of your answers but just to kind of give you a chance to expand maybe in a more nuanced way um, how how does the pandemic link in with different policy spheres so that you know there's very you touched on um, education touched on the the economy in various ways there's um, kind of the broader issue which all of us are going to have to deal with moving forward which is climate change how do, how does it impact those or, or link in with them i think that the thing with the pandemic it was something that shone a light on things that we maybe don't look at or think about very often so inequality might be is is one of them you know it really shone a light on a lot of the health inequalities and uh, about some of the structural inequality that we have in our society and you know i think it's highlighted that you know that actually we need to do more to, to tackle those. I think that you know, the government's levelling up agenda is really important, but I think that needs to be looked in a context, not just geographical as in the North versus the South, but actually there's inequality everywhere, whether it's in, in London, there's inequality, you know, whether it's you know, in terms of you know, inequality of opportunity, depending on where, you know, not just where you live, but where, you know, you're, you know, what type of um, community you're born into, Etc. So, you know, I think it's important that that that, that sort of plan is, is is followed through on climate change. You know, I think climate change and you know the COP summit earlier this a couple of months ago now. I think you know really focused people's minds on climate um, even more so. And I think you know, I, you know, I, I think the interesting thing I thought actually about sort of very early on in the pandemic is there were 
uh, this is probably about in March or April 2020, there was lots of stuff on the news about, you know, obviously lots of factories and industry shutting down globally, you know, air travel almost evaporated. And, it, you know, it showed, had all those graphs about how much CO2 had come to, you know, was not being emitted because all of this industry and everything um, was closed. And in one way, I think it highlighted to me the, the extent, the, the lengths that we have to go to to actually really deliver reductions. Because even then, essentially, we, you know, back in March and April last year, large swathes of, of, of the, the industrialised world were, were shut down. And even then, you know, if you look at sort of CO2 reductions last year, they weren't, it, it wasn't huge. So it makes you think, actually, even though we did all of that, you know, it, it, it didn't, we didn't get to net zero or anywhere close. And it makes you think about the, the extent of the challenge. I think it was interesting that, you know, hopefully the COP, you know, uh, summit, some momentum going forward to try and tackle some of these issues. I mean, I know, you know, Britain has some, you know, ambitious targets for ourselves in terms of getting to net zero by 2050. Um, on a, in terms of local government, I think one of the interesting challenges is how do we ensure, how, what, what role does local government have? Um, what, this is one particular area that, you know, it's using about, it's about transport. And, you know, I think it's 2030 that um, you won't be able to buy a new petrol diesel vehicle. And I think over the last 12 months, we've seen a, quite a rapid rise in people buying electric cars, but we have nowhere near the infrastructure to be able to cope with that at the moment. I know locally in Hanger Hill, some residents um, that I spoke to wanted to buy some electric cars. They, they live in terrace houses. There's no electric charging points near them at all. And you know, I've been in contact with the council to try and, try and look at getting some electric charging points installed in that particular vicinity. And it's hard, you know, the council said, well, well funding etc but if we're saying in approximately eight years time that you won't be able to buy a new petrol electric or diesel vehicle well when when are we going to build this infrastructure and that need, and that needs to happen i think we also need to bear that in mind when we're talking about planning applications that are coming forward you know it still strikes me that when planning applications come to a planning committee and and um i sit on the planning committee intermittently that when i've sat on it before you know, that there may be X number of parking spaces, but only a certain number will have an electric charging point. Well, we're looking at these developments lasting, you know, decades into the future. Why aren't, they want, why aren't all parking spaces coming with electric charging points? Because that's clearly the way forward. So and that's, a, that's only one particular area when it comes to tackling climate change. But, but I think we do need to do more in terms of locally to start building that infrastructure to enable people to go, to go green, to, to buy electric vehicles. Now, you know, in the long term, that might change. People might go to hydrogen. You know, hydrogen might be the way forward. But at the moment, electric vehicles seem to be the route to getting out of petrol and diesel cars. Now, you know, I think we, like I say, we we need to do more when it comes to planning, talking, looking about how we improve that electric infrastructure to enable to to, to help people do that. Because the sense I get on the doorstep is that people do want to start switching. But the but the rate limiting step, the thing that's stopping them, is about is about how they do that in this borough because it just really isn't and there was a, a chart in the evening standard a few months ago which compared uh london boroughs and ealing was ranked quite low down especially regarding looking if you look at our surrounding boroughs of of um hounslow and hillingdon in terms of the number of electric charging points per person so we we uh, we need to do more okay very interesting yeah i just wanted on on that is is i mean it, 
there's a problem here in terms of if capacity, right? Like the London transport infrastructure was put in place for a much smaller city, mm. or in terms of population, not in terms of geographic size. Although obviously it's the, the kind of it get, just keeps creeping outwards. Um, is so there's what one? I mean, part of the solution clearly is, needs to be more electric charge points, right? Um, but is is there also some? Does the TFL, does the, the transport infrastructure, need to be further developed as well? Because yeah. do we need to be driving less anyway? Like, is that do we just need less cars, or do we need like more cars shared? Or I don't, I don't know. Is it... Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I think yes. Yeah, so clearly, public transport needs to be improved. You know, Crossrail has been we've been waiting for for the last decade, and it still isn't finished. I think they plan to open it at some point in the first half of 2022. Um, I think it should first open in 2018. So, you know, our transport infrastructure has to improve. You know, I, I live in Hanwell, so Hanwell stations just up the road. It'll be great when you can get on a train here and get off at Tottenham Court Road or go all the way through to, to Essex. You know, it, it, will, it would be great, but we're clearly still waiting on that to be finished. You know, I think there's been talk for a long time for Crossrail too. You know, we need to increase, you know, but, you know, if, if, if it took, you know, I think from the moment that Crossrail 1 was thought of and it eventually be open, it's probably, what, a 15, 20-year period? Can we really wait another 20 years for the next, you know, the next line on, you know, on the essentially on the tube network to, to be built? I, I, I just don't think so. I think we need to, I think our capacity, our transport capacity does need to get better. I think you're right. You know, people do need to be encouraged to use other forms of transport. But I think the reality of saying that, you know, we're going to become a car-free society. I think I just don't think that's going to happen. I think that we need to get people into cleaner vehicles. I do think we need to get people to, especially on short journeys, to to walk or cycle or use public transport. But but I think you know the reality is I don't think we're going to get rid of cars. I think we just need to make it cars cleaner. And the way we do that is by going electric or you know in, in terms of probably for larger vehicles, probably using hydrogen as as the, as the power um, source for it. I think there are. I think there's already one bus route in London that uses hydrogen buses in the east in the east of London, um, but we need to do more. I know that um, I, I don't know what the, the the mayor's commitment is, but you know the 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 bus fleet in London needs to be fully electric, and we should be doing that you know quickly because you know having diesel buses going around London isn't great. You know, so the, the, but there are but there is more that clearly there is more that needs to be done. We do need to improve and increase our transport infrastructure. But there clearly isn't, I don't think there's a fast, quick way of necessarily doing that. These things take a long, long time. But we need to be making those decisions now and not putting them off and making sure that we deliver them, you know, quickly, on time, on budget, not you know, spending billions of pounds extra and taking, you know, four years more than than, than you know the original plan. Um, so looking forward, um, what are kind of the most pressing challenges for, for either your ward or for Ealing? And then how will you, um, if you were re-elected, how would you work to kind of continue to uh, try and have an impact on those? Yeah, I think sort of touching on, in terms of the sort of the priorities, I think sort of touching on things I've already said in terms of, you know, looking at overdevelopment. I know that's a big issue where I where I'm a councillor and you know in lots of other parts of the borough um fly tipping and antisocial behavior I think you know those three issues are the most important you know in terms of what I will do you know I'm going to continue to you know look at how we can tackle and clean up fly tipping hotspots in the ward that I am going to do some more cleanup days in terms of antisocial behavior 
like I said, we're, we're working on things, um, working on issues on Ashbourne Parade. We've been, we've worked on issues in the park, etc. We will continue to do that to push to make sure that those improvements uh, are delivered. On overdevelopment, you know, we will continue to stand up and represent residents when it comes to those developments to make sure that their voices are heard. I know this might sound like a very party political point, but in terms of development, the key thing is that you know the, the, the council is very heavily weighted to one party. And that therefore makes the representation on different committees, such as planning committees, it's heavily dominated by one particular party. Now I know that planning isn't a whipped matter. Um, but, you know, if we want, you know, the Conservatives went into the 2018 local election with a commitment to be against high rise over developments. And, you know, I suspect we may very well go into the next local election with a very similar commitment. But actually, if, if residents want to see, you know, material change in these areas, that, you know, having more opposition councillors on the council to make it more balanced will mean that there is a more balanced representation and more balanced votes when it comes to these issues. So, you know, those will be the things that, you know, that, uh, you know, that some of those are the priorities. Now, we haven't completed our manifesto commitments for 2022 yet. And, you know, it, time will come, you know, there'll be a time in the spring when we, we outline exactly what, what, you know, as the Conservatives, we're putting forward as our message. But, you know, speaking to residents, being out on the doorstep, talking to local people all the time, those would be the issues that are frequently coming up when people are speaking to us. Okay, well, Fabio, thank you very much indeed for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you again. And um, hopefully we can have you back on again in the future. Yeah, no, great. Thank you for having me. It was uh, it's always good to come speak to you.